This week on Ultra 64, we played A Bug's Life and now we're digging into a bunch of bug's deaths. Cause we're playing Jet Force Gemini. Welcome to Ultra 64. We are the internet's comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. Each and every week we are playing a different randomly selected game from the Nintendo 64 catalog. We're locking, we're loading, and we're shooting a bunch of very friendly looking blue ants until they scream and die. And my name is Steve Guntley. I am rocket power jetpack dog Woody Siskowski. Oh yes, you got the upgrades. Yeah. Finally. Oh, man. So we are playing Jet Force Gemini this week. I know this is one a lot of people have been very excited about. This is a rare game. Uh, so, you know, it's obviously one of the top shelf Nintendo 64 experiences. Um, this is one I have not had a whole lot of experience with myself. And I guess I'm going to kind of like jump ahead a little bit because I just have to ask this question. Is this game any good because um, I played it for several hours and I still don't know where I land on that. Yes, I'm in a very similar boat as you um, because I think that the ravages of time have not been kind to this game. Um, I did. I have played this game quite a bit. I have almost beaten it except for I got hung up at a part that we will get to later. Okay. Um and I, I mean, I remember enjoying it. I pulled up my old cartridge, my save files there. I have 25 hours playtime on it. Um, but it's not a game I've ever really thought about or gone back to. But when I popped it back in my in my system, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember all of this stuff. It's it's very but, strange. Like as of right now, like I don't have a ranking in my head for this game. Like uh, I, I think it's going to be somewhere between. 50 and 200 I don't know like I honestly like I, I think I need to talk it out a little bit to kind of sort through my feelings on this game because I don't really know where it lands like there's a lot here to like and then there's a lot that's like really frustrating or seems almost sloppy or something like that so I mean this yeah like we said this was developed by Rare uh, and when it was released it got good reviews it sold well it has an appreciative audience but it's never been followed up in any way at all and that seems unusual for any video game company, but especially Rare. Rare like to follow up on their big, like, games, you know? They, they like to kind of mm -hmm. milk those things into the ground, uh, <laughs> which is an expression that people use commonly in underground farms. They like to milk a dead horse, if they you will. They love to milk a dead horse. Ew. Uh, so <laughs> the developers, by their own admission, they kind of took inspiration for pretty much anything that had space in it. So there's a lot of Star Wars here. There's a lot of Dune. There's a lot of Super Metroid. There's a lot of Aliens. Pretty much anything, if you have stars above you, then they've kind of paid reference to it in this game. I'd say I'd say this is like 80% Star Wars. It's very heavily uh, Star Wars. But there's, there's and, Trek in there, too. There's Aliens. There's, yeah. So, yeah, tell, um, tell us a little bit about... I don't. I mean, Rare, you know, has such a high pedigree and just was on such a roll um, for their games that they released on the Nintendo 64. I dug out my old uh, VHS copy of a uh, Nintendo Power promotional 
promotional tape yes that was like hyping up um jet force gemini and dk64 as like these are going to be the huge games of 1999 and they kept falling back on like both these games are by rare who made all of these games of the year from previous years and it's sort of building on those and there's really a sense and we talked about a little bit with dk64 and i think it applies to jet force gemini too of rare was just getting a little big for their britches a little bit yeah Every every game by Rare kind of felt like it had to be this big event, and I think that that's that sort of mentality that kind of sinks Jet Force Gemini a little bit. I agree. I think I was very surprised, like, the more I was reading about this game, that for most people, it's going to take you, like, 25 to 40 hours to beat this game. Yeah, this is, this is a big game. And, like, I keep thinking, like, this style of gameplay doesn't support longer than like a 10 hour game i feel like brevity would have been in this game's favor uh because i'm looking at it and i'm thinking like is this a game like that i would stick through like playing now would i stick through this for 40 hours and i don't know that i would in the way that i would like i recently replayed banjo tooie like for for 30 hours and that one had its frustration too but i still kept wanting to play and I don't know that this one would do that for me, but I, we'll have to see where... Uh... And what I think, um, I think the problem with this game is, I'm going to summarize it real quick here, is I think that this is an action game trapped in the body of an adventure or an adventure yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Or, or the other way around. It's an adventure game trapped in the controls of an action game. But whatever it is, it the things don't meld quite right. I think that's a really good point. And that's that's kind of going back to like them using all these different influences from different sci-fi genres. It's kind of just a let's see what sticks to the wall kind of approach to it. And so it never feels fully focused or very cohesive. But there are moments of, of uh, a, a very enjoyable gameplay here. So let, let, we'll dig into that a little bit. Let's see. Let's start with a little info on the game. Jet Force Gemini was released October 11th, 1999, developed and published by Rare. And this was an N64 exclusive, but it does appear on the Rare replay compilation on Xbox One. And I did play both versions. Um, pretty pretty uh, accurate. I think the Xbox One has better controls because it's mapping the um, weapon changing to the right stick instead of the oh, okay. A and B buttons, which I think is a much more intuitive layout for it. But I've played it on N64 as well, and it, it plays... It plays fine. Um, So kind of at the time that this game was being made, this is smack in the middle of Rare's hot streak. And Rare had one of the biggest hot streaks of any developer ever. So the three games that they did before this one were Goldeneye, Diddy Kong Racing, and Banjo-Kazooie. And the two games they did immediately after this were Donkey Kong 64 and Perfect Dark. So this one is kind of smack in the middle of all of all of those are top 10 games. This one is not. It still sold well, but uh, it was a bit of disappointment by those standards. I think it sold 1.2 million copies and it's the 40th best selling game on the system. And it's right smack in between two wrestling games that we'll be talking about shortly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is from the same developers as uh, Blast Core, which I didn't realize. Um, small team. And they I think oh, like the same team, like the yeah. same team. I think they ported. I don't, maybe that's kind of the problem because Blast Core is a very stripped down kind of game compared to this. Like, it isn't like this yes. big epic story or anything like that. So, I don't know. Maybe that was the disconnect there. So, uh, in the early demos of this game, uh, they had much younger looking characters and a much squishier looking dog. Uh, but the <laughs> characters were redesigned and given a slightly harder edge after a negative response from players. And Nintendo also wasn't crazy about these like children shooting everything. Uh, which, well, understandable. Well, 
Yeah, let's talk about sort of the mood or aesthetic to this game because that's kind of a weird, a weird aspect. Real very quick, weird. Um, is this game like the the premise here is that you're in this sort of you're like these space rangers mm. who are who protect the universe um, from mo- and most of who occupy at least this galaxy that you're protecting is like these really obviously Ewok knockoffs. Oh yeah, yeah, the tribals. Um, that yeah, exactly, and so. They, I mean, they, they're like white Ewoks, yeah. and they walk around with a bunch of staffs. Um, and they're very cutesy in their design. Very koala-like. And you're fe- yeah. yeah, exactly. And you're fending off this race of uh, evil ants and just general bugs mm-hmm. that are not, they're not really gross in design. They just kind of look like big ants. They do, yeah. That's what, uh, I mean, I was playing it, and I just kept getting flashbacks to uh, A Bug's Life. You know, it's like it is very similar looking enemies in this game as in A Bug's Life. But sort of the mood here is each time you go to a new planet, you'll sort of meet with the tribal leader who will tell you about the hardships that have befallen them. And there'll be like a little flashback of the bugs kind of landing and sort of enslaving this this race. And all of these flashbacks have a I don't they have a real like genocidal tone to them. Oh, I mean, the the ship lands on one of the tribals and they explode in a fountain of blood and then this scene ends with like a slow pullback zoom of an orphaned tribal baby alone amongst the wreckage weeping for their dead parents. Like, and there's just lots of scenes of like death marches of tribals being watched and then a bunch of by a bunch of armed ants and just crying crying children and but it's all it's so weird because it's not sort of done as like an ironic cute like conquer type of thing like oh isn't it funny that we have all this horrible action but they're all cutely designed it feels like it is reaching for a real emotional response from you right but it just looks so silly that it doesn't really land well and then they've got like silly elements of the game like the 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 leader of the tribals is named king jeff like yeah. they, they went with a, a specifically like kind of a, a milk toast sounding name. And then like the, you get little moments, like if you get a red key card, like the text on the screen says, amazingly, this opens red doors. So like it's got kind of this weird sarcastic bent to it. And that is not coming across in those opening cutscenes, And in some of the violence in general, like, yes, you're only shooting big bugs. There's no like gore necessarily, but sometimes these bugs take a long time to die. Like, yes. they'll fall on the ground, and, and you need to go up and shoot them if you want. Like, because most of the rooms in this need to be opened by a life force door, which is you need to kill a certain number of people before the door will open. And if you kill everybody else, but one of them is still laying on the floor gasping for air, that door won't open. So you need to go up and shoot it. Sometimes, like, their heads will fall off. Yeah, you can pick up their heads, which I think oh, you are, like, some kind of give you some kind of bonus later. And, yeah, they're just kind of writhing in pain, and the game just asks you to go up and take them out of their misery. Like flies will start can... swarming over their heads. Like, it's grisly. It's grisly. And I, I, after a little while, you feel bad, like you're mowing down these things. So there's definitely an inconsistency in the tone, right, from the get-go. And I, and I do think maybe from what you were talking about of, like, that was there was definitely like a sense of rare that they had been like repeating themselves and that was like a common criticism of like oh all these games that you're designing are way too cutesy yeah. and that's how like bad fur day came about yeah 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 but in some ways certainly here i think them trying to both have it start that way and then push against it kind of works against the game i really get the sense that this game was not anybody's passion project you know, I get the sense that, like, okay, Rare needs a game to fill in this gap in the schedule because Perfect Dark just got delayed. Uh, what what can we work on? What can we build up? And 
So, like, I think they, they take some shortcuts, and there are some inconsistent design uh, choices that aren't present in other Rare games either. Um, I think we, did we lose, I thought, we think we lost our thread there a little bit, though, did. of the sort of initial development. Oh, yeah, I don't know. that's all good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, the, yeah, they, Nintendo didn't want them to look as much like children. Uh, they still kind of look like children, though. I think they, they remind me of uh, Gelflings from the Dark Crystal. Like, that's what they look like to me. They've got that kind of elfin look to them. Um, the game was also, this was kind of a famous thing for this game. It was supposed to have an expansion pack support, but for unknown reasons, this functionality was dropped at the last minute, but the boxes had already been printed. Uh, so Nintendo had to go through and slap stickers on all of these boxes, advertising the rumble pack instead of the expansion pack. So, uh, uh eventually they went back and reprinted the boxes, but, um, yeah, you can find a box with like a sticker on it, uh, that was supposed to have an expansion pack. <laughs> And I will say, I mean, force feedback has just become so built into the controllers that usually when we're playing at your house, we don't usually use the rumble right. pack. I I, I, pl- I put pulled out some C, uh, AAA batteries, plugged in my rumble pack here, and it was so not noticeable in the gameplay. I'm like, does this rumble pack even work? Yeah. I did confirm that it does. It does shake, but it's hard to believe that at one point that was advertised as a feature. It's even a even a replacement feature on the box. A, a really nice touch with the rare replay disc is that it simulates the rumble at a Nintendo 64 level. So like oh, the rumbles funny. are all very, they're kind of inconsistent and they're kind of weak but it feels like you're playing with a Nintendo 64 rumble pack. So I appreciated that little extra layer of detail that they put into that. Uh, I do think this game would have really benefited from the uh, the expansion pack. Oh, yeah. Being as a lot of the textures here just feel really rough. There's a lot of sort of recycled environments. Yeah. And the the, the yeah, reason this... that they said is that they, they didn't want... They felt like they got a good enough experience at the basic level and they didn't want to make people pay more to get the full experience. Um, I mean, you know, it works. It's a big game. It is a big game, but I think yeah. we could have had some sharper edges. And uh, Well, especially because, you know, a month later, uh, Donkey Kong 64 was going to come out and that, you know, would be included with a Rumble Pack. Right, or the expansion pack. so they're going to yeah, assume... Yeah. yeah, expansion pack, I'm sorry. They're going to assume that most people are going to get that and so they might as well put in a little more polish into this one. Right. It, it, it does strike me as a game that probably ran out of time and resources because they were shifted a little elsewhere. I think that's kind of the case, and I'm wondering, but we'll we'll see a little bit. Um, so I have the, the basic plot outline of this game. So Jet Force Gemini is a team of elite space warriors in a far-off galaxy. Uh, the Galactic Federation has for years been ignoring a tyrant named Mizar, who has been steadily taking over planets on the fringes of the galaxy, but now he's begun an ex- aggressive campaign to expand and take over the universe, and he's launched a devastating sneak attack on Jet Force Gemini. So the only surviving members are now the twin soldiers Juno and Vela and their faithful space dog Lupus. So Mizar has set up his base of operations on Goldwood, which is a forested planet that's home to a peaceful race called the Tribals. Uh, but he has enslaved all the tribals and uh, is forcing them into hard labor. So as the game opens, the last remaining JFG ship is being attacked. Juno is separated. Vela and Lupus are uh, captured and by invading alien insects. The ship crashes down on Goldwood, and you must take control of Juno to rescue the rest of your squad and save the galaxy. Which is all well and good, but I'm sure what you're asking right now is... What about the gameplay, Steve? <laughs> what about the gameplay, Steve? You want to be Steve's friend, don't you? So you're asking him, what about the gameplay? That's, that is a, a joke. callback to a thing that may or may not make a sense. A joke for five people. 
um, so yeah, the but yeah, you should look up um, Insider. Like, uh, no, it's Nintendo sixty four news. Yes. N-E-W-Z, um, the VHS tape that was a hype for Jet Force Gemini and DK sixty four. Because the guy there is named Steve, mm-hmm. who is hyping it up, and he is really into it. There's so many puns in that about like an inside look <laughs> at the new Nintendo sixty four game, and it gets very. It's annoying. hard to endure. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's intense. Jet Force Gemini. It's it's a third person action adventure shooting game, uh, which is kind of the most simple way to say it, I guess. Like I, I have a hard time. I'm. I'm it's it's here's not what quite I, here's like, what I would describe yeah, yeah, it as. Yeah. I would say it is a demake of Ratchet and Clank. Okay. It's like okay. it's basically you know how Ratchet and Clank is awesome. Yes, I do. What if we just take sort of the skeletal elements of Ratchet and Clank mm-hmm. and make that into a game and have it not be as good? Yeah, I could I could see that actually. Like the it's it's an interesting dynamic. All right, so you're kind of like it's an open world exploration kind of thing, like like Mario sixty four or Zelda. Uh, and then it's like also like a run and gun action game. Like you'd find a, a Contra or Tomb Raider. Then sometimes it turns into like uh, a shooting gallery thing where like a bunch of enemies will pop out in a row and you have to take them out like like ducks. There's also a kart racing game. There's in a kart it. racing Believe game. Believe it or in not, there. yeah. Talk, yeah. I never even got to that. Like I was, I was digging through as and, much as possible. But and again, that's just that's a sense that Rare is like okay. Our games just kind of get bigger and bigger, and they're just throwing all of this extra stuff in that really doesn't need to be there. Right, um, and and like this is something Rare has managed to do better in other games. Like they can pull together like all these different disparate elements into something somewhat cohesive. And I think this might have been where it started to tip off because the next game is Donkey Kong sixty four, which is the game that absolutely overdid that. Though I will say, I, I think that Donkey Kong 64 has aged better than this game, and I here is why. Mm. Um, the rap? The 3D, the, yeah, A, the rap, mm. which has aged just perfectly. Timeless, yeah. And um, B, the 3D platformer genre is so sort of already sort of dated and inscribed on the Nintendo 64 that it feels very of its time and easy to go back to. Jet Force Gemini just feels like a bad modern game which I think is something that I've said um, about occasional games we played, like that Indiana Jones game we played. Mm -hmm. Like, this game does feel like it really sort of was paving the way for, like, what PS2 games would be, or it's like an over-the-shoulder view that's pretty comparable to something like Resident Evil 4. Right, right. Um, And it does a good job of, like, when you get into aim mode, your body turns transparent. Uh Uh-huh. and it's it's there's no camera control in this game really at all aside from it sort of going behind you when you enter that aim mode and so and for the most part the camera works pretty well because it sort of stays behind you the whole time so i do really think like this game sort of set more of what games would be later Mm -hmm. more than like because like what donkey kong 64 did was kind of just a dead end like there wasn't a bunch like the 3d collect-a-thon kind of died uh, with with the N64, yeah. whereas what Jet Force Gemini sort of did has kept going, and the result is you get games that are similar to this, but are just way more polished. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, because I did kept I, I did keep finding myself instinctively going for mechanics that like would apply to a more recent game, like independent camera control or like lock on aiming or something like that. Like I was going for 
something a little more natural and organic to what I'm used to. Because this game kind of feels like it's feeding into that, you know, uh, like like it wants you to it wants to be played like a more modern game than it is. Uh, yeah. So my my question to you is, um, how do you when not that we're to the rankings yet by any no. means, but when you think about the list of our games and sort of where everything lies, are you ranking those games based on sort of competing against only other Nintendo sixty four games or just games in general? Like. I'm- for any system. I'm tr- well, it's a little bit of both. It's I think like I I, th- I think about it in terms of overall games when I want to put it in a general place on the list, and then I think of specific Nintendo 64 games when I'm putting it in a specific place. You know, like does that make sense? Like like I'll I'll say okay, I want this to be in the top 50, but I'm not quite sure okay. where, and then I kind of think about which game would I rather play again. Because I think this game would be vastly different if um, I was only rating it versus N64 games. Uh, Favorably compared to them? Yeah. Yeah, I do think it comes out favorably, like, rated compared to N64 games because it is a it is a huge game. It's clear that a lot of effort was put into it. There's a lot of content, and there's just not that many sort of action shooty games on the N64. I was going to say, this one feels very unique. Like, it doesn't feel... There's really not a lot of games like this on the N64 at all. Uh, And that's one of the things that really impresses me with it. And they they try to do a lot of very cool stuff in here. Um, Generally, like, all you're supposed to do is kind of move through the level and get to the launch pad at the end. Um, but then you have lots of, lots of little sub missions that you need to do and you need to be picking up the tribals throughout. I'll get into the tribals in a second, but, uh, yeah, but you, you navigate the level looking for the launch pad and that brings you to a a hub and you can go from there. Um, as you play, you will start to unlock other members of your squad. Uh, so you'll find Vela after your first couple of levels and then Lupus a little after that. She's sort of captured on the on this star cruiser, kind of like Princess Leia. Very or much something. like Princess Leia, yeah. And then, except unlike Princess Leia, she goes off and has her own independent adventure while uh, Juno does his mm-hmm. own thing, which I like. Um, you can switch between these characters at any time, but it doesn't like it doesn't swap in a character where you're standing. You have to go to where they are. So wherever you left Juno, right. that's where you're going to have to. Go. You're going to leave the level that you're in with Vela, and you're going to go play with Juno. So it's essentially like you have three different characters. The way this game is structured is you'll play as one character for a little bit. You'll go follow this other character's story. And so you essentially have three different characters all playing their own mm-hmm. path. And the reason that, that the, the pros of that are you get to see a lot of different levels because they're all sort of visiting different levels. And the way that they integrate this into the gameplay I think is one of the real faltering points of this game and it's something that Rare does is eventually once you beat sort of these characters independent campaigns the levels kind of open up and then you can go to any of the levels with any of the characters but they all have just like one or two slight differences like if I remember correctly I think Juno can run on lava um I don't remember what Vela does. Vela swim under dive underwater Vela swims or something. Underwater and then Lupus has like a little short hover uh, for like five seconds. He can hover off the ground. So it's very similar. I don't. It's it's just such a common thing in rare games where they just sort of pad this out with a bunch of backtracking, and it's really egregious in this game because the backtracking is just not obvious at no, all. No, no. Like you'll see like 
you're like, oh, there's a pool of water. I'll remember to come back to this in five hours with Vela so I can swim under it. Yeah. Whereas in Donkey Kong 64, like characters would have big platforms with their face on it. Oh, so yeah. it's like, or you, oh, or it's you'd, pretty you'd obvious see, I need to come back Yeah, here. you'd see their corresponding fruit, like, lining a row up there. Well, it's like, okay, so I definitely have to come up with that person. Yeah. Yeah, there were, there were a little more hints. Like, the characters here are, like, they're really not very different. They have the same access to all the same weapons and everything like that. It's really just those one individual traits that each of them has. Uh, the dog the dog does play a little different because he's obviously going to be much lower to the ground. I feel like playing as Lupus is sort of much more interesting just because he feels a lot different. See, and that's the one thing. But... I was not able to unlock Lupus. I, I played this game for, like, a good six, seven hours. Like, you know, I wanted to put in a little more time on it just because this is such a huge, huge game, and uh, you're not going to see all of it in, in an hour. Um, but even in six or seven hours, I did not get Lupus yet, so I still haven't seen much. Um, yeah, he comes pretty late. Yeah, I just, I, that's all I want. My, my, my dearest hope in the world is to get Lupus. And that's all I want. That's all I want. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, the camera mechanic, like you talked about, it's it's very – it's not – you don't really control it very much, but you do frequently need to get the camera centered back behind your back, which you can do by tapping the aim button, uh, and that gets it behind you. And then you can run and gun like you do and just kind of there's – a, there's a moderately generous auto-aim function when you're doing this if you just kind of point in the right Though direction. it's not – yeah, it, it's not super generous with the flying enemies, of which there are a yeah. lot. There's a lot of sort of drones that fly around and will tear you apart, and, like, your your auto-aim is not very useful no, against them. No, unless you're using, like, rockets or something. Like, your pistol isn't going to aim for those guys in the sky at all. Um, but that's when you need to go into your manual aiming. So you do manual aiming by holding the R button and uh, aiming around with the stick. And anyone who's tried to manually aim something in a Nintendo 64 game, whether it's this or GoldenEye or something yeah. else, they know that it, this is kind of a tricky prospect. It feels like you're kind of fighting it all the time, um, and you need to have like a very, very steady grip if you're going to be good at what you're doing. I think the developers were working with this to the best of their ability in this one, because it gives you, when you aim at an enemy, it'll give you a pretty generous like hit box that you can, uh, you can aim in, and the enemy will blink when they're in your sight. So you have a pretty good idea of when you're going to hit them if you're holding still. Uh, if you're moving around, you can use something like a machine gun or a rocket launcher or something like that, which isn't super accurate. But if you just keep kind of shooting in a direction, they'll die. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I weirdly, I got used to the aiming and I got pretty good at the aiming. And it can be pretty satisfying to like snipe an enemy from like far across the room with this aiming mechanic um you can you can hit pretty far away and headshots count for extra so you can take out enemies a little more extra if you're more precise so that's a nice mechanic that they thought they had and like this is something i thought was gonna be an absolute disaster to try and play through and i thought the aiming worked pretty well i think they're they're conscious of the limitations of the platform and they're working with it to the best of their ability that's yeah yeah I, I, I have no I have no argument there. It's definitely a game that does feel very limited by the platform. There is uh. one decision here that really, really baffles me. Okay, well, it doesn't really baffle me because I, I think I know what they're going for. But every time your character moves, they slide. It's almost like you're you're walking on a freshly waxed floor, or or you're or you're on uh, ice skates or something like that. They they just move a little bit fa faster. I think what they were going for was like a sense of momentum like to make your character feel a little weightier 
But ironically, it just has the opposite effect where you feel very floaty and it's like it makes platforming a chore. Uh, and and it's it's just something you have to kind of adjust to. This is a game where you have to make a lot of adjustments. You have to make a lot of adjustments in your, your expectations of the game and how it's going to play. Um, yeah, and I think your observation about the platforming is right on too just because when you get to the point of you, there's there's a section just in the second level where you sort of have to jump from just the solid ground to a moving platform and if you fall you have to replay a different room and I, I ended up replaying that room about three times even though it should be a relatively easy right. jump but it's just because each time you jump like the camera will sort of swing behind you or yeah like you said that sense of sort of momentum because when you stop moving to line up your jump your character kind of has to take a second to sort of get running again at speed and then you land and stop and they'll kind of slide a second yeah. that, that i think that was the thing that was most jarring to me when i first played this i'm like oh wait this this does it the entire game it's not oh okay this is this is just how they move all right uh i'll adapt to that yeah it's not like they're flying off the rails or anything but they do move just like a, a little more than you want them to and sometimes you need to be very precise in your movements so it can be a hindrance sometimes and you talked about when when you're in a shootout, like when in a ground level shootout, the camera will automatically fix behind your shoulder. You'll go transparent, and then you can kind of run and gun your way through that. However, like if you need to back up or something like that, you have to completely reorient yourself because your camera controls aren't really adapting with you, if that makes sense. So like, I found myself bumping into ants a lot. Like rather than yeah, like yeah. backing away from them or strafing them, I was bumping into them. You have to like stop moving and then press back and then move side to side. So it's not like dynamic um, controls there. It's not like moving with you. Um, so yeah, a couple other things. So uh, Rare's affinity for context sensitive pads is back in play here. Uh, you, find, <laughs> you can activate certain spots by spending Mizar tokens, which you will do uh, for various things like flying a jetpack once you've unlocked that. You can use night vision goggles once you've unlocked that. You can control Floyd, who is a little uh, drone with a machine gun. Uh, and he gets through like different tight areas. And you can also disguise yourself as a tribal or a drone for certain stealth segments. Yeah, so again, comparable to, I just keep drawing comparisons to Ratchet and Clank, but I really do think that's kind of the line that it, it comes in here is Floyd is this little robot buddy who you rescue in like the third level as Juno. You have to run around and find his different yeah. parts to assemble him, and then he'll sort of just accompany you for the rest of the game. And if you play, um, you can actually have a second player. Um, press start in the single player game once you've unlocked Floyd and then they get an additional set of crosshairs that they can shoot lasers I love him, that I, I think that's like is, the ultimate little brother co-op mode because like you, yeah. you hand them the controller and they are actually controlling something and they are actually helping but they're not hindering your game in any way you know so it's it's a better alternative than just unplugging the controller and handing it to a sibling or something like that <laughs> you know I think that's a nice idea um, yeah, and it's it's it, yeah it it doesn't really detract in any way, and it's it's probably a more satisfying gameplay than playing as uh, Tails in Sonic the Hedgehog two because at least like you're not constantly being pushed off the yeah. screen. I mean, so there there were a lot of just very weird little decisions here. Like I, I, on one hand, it's very this game is very clever and it's very fun once you get used to it, but it does take a lot of getting used to. And some of the design decisions, I think, are just actually bad. Like, I think they're just actually bad design. Like, for instance, there were a couple of areas where it was impossible to progress through a stage without falling onto something and taking damage. 
which I think is just bad design. Okay. Like if you can't move somewhere without taking damage. Um, and then like the map screen. Did you try and access the map screen at any point? Okay, no. so I tried to do this because I kept getting lost. The levels are very big, and a lot of them yeah. look kind of the same. Oh, it's awful. I The second level, um, basically, I went through this lit-up hallway to this floor with a bunch of elevators. Mm. I jumped on the elevators. I went to the other end, and then there was another lit-up hallway that looked exactly yep. the same. So I said, wait a second. Have I gotten turned around? So I went back the way I came, and there was the same hallway. I'm like, oh, nope. They just reused the hallway on both ends Pretty of this much. room. Pretty much, yep, yep. But I mean... There's a section in there where, like, uh, so I, I opened up the map to try and find my way around. And you go into the map screen, and it's a 3D rendition of the Sekhmet Battle Cruiser, which is where I was at the time, which is, like, the second. I think it's that same level you were talking about. And uh, so I'm like, okay, so it was a 3D rendering of the ship. So I bet if I click on this, it'll open up the inter interior map, and I can see where I'm going. No, that's not what happens. If you click on that ship, it resets your progress. It starts you back at the beginning oh, of the level. Uh, all the tribals and all the enemies have been uh, respawned. You still have your keys and your weapons, but everything else has been respawned. And all I was trying to do was look for a map, and instead I had to start over from the beginning of the level. And the, the interface in this game is bonkers. Like, I'm sure that was just like a sort of a symptom of the time as well. But if you press the start button, you get about 10 different tabs. Yeah. And, w and some of them just seem to provide so little information. Like, there's one that just says health. And you just click on it, and it shows which character you're playing as, which you should probably know, and how much health you have. And you're like, mm, and it gives you a little, like, x-ray skeleton of them. And you're like, great, they have Good a skeleton. Know. I'm glad that I went to this start screen. It's definitely, like, the kind of information that, and yeah, there's a whole screen that just branches through your weapons and sort of gives you details you don't care about. It's definitely, like, information that should all be on one pause screen or just, like, a general status screen, but it's all broken up into so much info. Um, so we're talking about bad design decisions, yes. Steve. And earlier I said that when I had played this game before, many, many years ago, um, I had not beaten it. And the reason is, you know those little tribals that you have to run around and, and sure find? Sure like, You probably found, like, two or three of them as you played yeah, through the yeah, level. Yeah, usually you find a queue. Yeah. In order... In, and that's like two or three out of maybe 10 yeah. or 12. In order to beat this game, you get you get maybe 90% of the way through the game. You'll encounter a guy who says, oh, if you want to progress farther and fight Mizar, you need to go to every level and rescue every tribal that's in the game. Too much. How many are there? I, I, well, I don't know. I will yeah. look that up. But there is far too many. And it's just, this is already a game where the backtracking feels like a sort of real excessive amount of padding um and like we said the layouts for the levels are not very clear um the tribals sort of consistently respawn um so like it doesn't sit basically each time you there's 10 tribals in a level and you leave and you come back all those 10 tribals are there so you have to get them all every right. time and you can kill the tribals too or they can be killed by other people like you you can absolutely accidentally take one out they do have an affinity for hiding behind explosive barrels i noticed too like they love to do that and that is like kind of ridiculous to me that's kind of like uh you know there are like jinjos in banjo kazooie that you have to collect to get jiggies but you're not required to get every single jinjo in the game you know, that just seems like a ridiculous de decision. And I mean, I get that they want you to explore all of these levels with all of the characters, but that still means you're playing every single level 
a minimum of three times, probably way more because you're going to die a little bit. The game's a little tricky, especially like as it goes on, it gets a little harder and the enemies get more armored. Um, and there are lots of just little places where you can fall to your death or, or uh, sometimes I'll walk into a room and I'll just get pelted with machine gun fire before I know what's happening. Like there'll be a row of drones flying around just like taking me out. So like you're going to have to play this game a lot if you really want to beat it. It takes a lot of dedication. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. And sometimes where they hide the tribals is like it's it's very opaque. And then other times like there's one point I walked into a door and, oh, look, here's six tribals and a yellow key and a totem to unlock bonus features. Okay, next room. It's like, well, okay, did you just get bored and you didn't want to hide him through the whole level? I just walked out of an empty room into this room that has all of the items. And I'm like, what, what what's happening here? Did we get bored? So I'm looking here. I, it's hard to find just a quick, easy answer. But I'm guessing that there's at least 100 tribals in this yeah, game. Yeah, there would have to be. Um and so, yeah, it, it's just a real sense, um, especially going back, of cockiness here on Rare's part to be like, our game is great. You're going to want to play all these levels three yeah. times um, because this game is so awesome. But they sort of failed to acknowledge that, you know, maybe this game is not as fun as you think it is. And so I would be more than happy to sort of play through this game if it was like just linear and sort of went through each of the action set pieces. And because the, the planet variety is kind of cool and let you play as these different characters. And there's lots of there's lots of fun weapons in this game. That's something we didn't. Really yeah, touch yeah, there's on. quite actually um, the weapons are overall, I think, my favorite part of the game. Not because they're mm-hmm. like and, they're and not, not like Ratchet and Clank level of creative necessarily, but they are balanced, uh, and there is like there's a and they I mean they pack a lot of firepower. Do. They're not wha- they're not as wacky as the Ratchet and Clank ones, but they do give you that feeling of like there's like a tri- a, a rocket launcher that shoots three rockets at yeah. once, or like a cluster bomb that throws a bunch of explosions everywhere. So they're satisfying. To and use. there's a sense of like there's a tool for every job, you know. There's like certain guns work better on certain enemies, you know, and uh, so you do have to think a little bit about what you're shooting. You know, sometimes enemies will come out with uh, uh, shields, and you need to use grenades on them to get through, or things like that. Um, so like you start off with a standard pistol, which is, it's very accurate. It's reasonably powerful, but it does need to recharge. If you fire too fast, it gives you like six or seven shots and then it needs to slowly recharge. And then the machine gun is really fast, really powerful, but it's super inaccurate. It's just kind of spraying all over the place in this crazy jangly way, you know? So they, they all do things like that, uh, which I really appreciate it. And it was always fun to unlock the weapons and, uh, you could gather clip capacity things to increase the capacity, uh, you can gather um, Gemini's for health and like Gemini holders to increase your maximum health. Pretty low on um, collectibles for a rare game, but they do have random Mizar coins, which are like silver tokens that you need to run around and pick up. And those are used to like fuel those context sensitive pads or to buy stuff. I found a shady mercenary drone who's trying to sell me extra life or extra ammo, and he sp- you can spend those there. It does seem like just one additional thing too much, you know, but... Um, yeah, that's... no, it's, it is it is light. The collectibles are light for a rare game, but it still feels like more than what needs to be yeah, there. Yeah, but I mean, they're light, but they also are mandatory. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a downside on that one. I did like in the manual when they were listing all the different weapons in there, the last one on there was fish food, and it said, food for your fish. That's all, really. So... 
Yeah, I, I was trying. I remembered having that in the game, but I couldn't remember exactly what it was for. Aside from if you throw it in the water, fish will yeah. come and eat it. But I can't remember if it unlocks some kind of and, secret. And look, this is a game that is chock full of secrets, you know, and I, I, I do like that about it. And as you gain more abilities, like the jetpack ability and things like that, you'll be able to explore all these little hidden nooks and crannies. I think this would be a great, like, this is my only Nintendo 64 game when you're younger because there's a lot here. There's a lot to to keep you occupied and that was that was definitely my case of this is the game that i have right now and i'm gonna play through it and so i do remember liking it um but again going back when you have so many other games and so many of them feel much more polished than this game at this time it's a sort of a tricky one to go back to and especially i just feel like them making you collect i don't know if i can harp on this enough is them making you collect all the tribals to beat the game to me it was one of the most egregious and baffling gameplay decisions in development history for like a game that was this big it's something that they repeated again and again too because donkey kong required you to beat the original donkey kong three times in order to fight the final boss and that's only hidden in one little obscure level banjo 2 and that is that is very annoying and and bizarre but like you know the original donkey kong you know you can beat it in five minutes and so to beat it three times is pretty small commitment. They're like, okay, compared to go out and find these hundred tribals hidden in the co- corners of these levels. And I don't even think there was a very clear interface for tracking when you, what you had completed and what you had Not hadn't. really. And they don't, like, the but, tribals don't make noise or anything to indicate that they're there. But sometimes if it is clear and you get close enough, they'll run to you, which I noticed. And that's kind of a nice little touch. Like, they will approach you. Um, so you don't have to do too much hunting and pecking, but, uh, sometimes they're like really uh, hidden, like up on ledges and, and sometimes they'll die. Like you'll make it through a whole level and then one of them will die and you have to start all over again. That's, that's really insane to me that they would do that. Um, there is a multiplayer mode in here. So like we, as is, as is another rare tradition, as another rare tradition, multiplayer games that are multiplayer modes and games that don't necessarily need them. Um, but what um a quick aside what what do you have to do in Banjo Tooie to uh, beat the game like where does it make you well, get with the backtrack do you have to play Jetpack or that's also in DK that's 64, in DK sixty four right? as well so in Banjo Tooie you can beat the game if you get like uh you can get into Grunty's tower with like fifty five jiggies and then solve the game show and then you can beat the game and see the end credits but if you want to actually fight the final boss. You need to have like 75 more jiggies. So you need to go back after you just scraped out these 55 and get 20 more, um, which in Banjo is Banjo Tooie can be very hard. We'll get to that when we talk about that episode, but uh, that can be very hard to do. Um, but the multiplayer mode. Okay, yeah. Here. So multiplayer. Now you can here. speak a little bit more to this because uh, you and Michaela got to play a little bit. I I didn't get to try any of this. I do want to do a uh, post quarantine special episode at some point where we can like. Do, get all these multiplayer games that we weren't able to play during this time and uh, crank them all out in one episode. But uh, we'll, we'll see how practical that is. Um, so um, the, this game, yeah, much very similar to DK64 and Banjo-Tooie as well. They pack a lot of multiplayer modes in here for a game that is really designed around a single-player experience. Yeah. And some of them are better than others. Um, but they're all bad. Um, the basic one here is just going to be your deathmatch mode of, you know, you're all sort of in up to four players. You're all in an arena 
and it's split screen and you just sort of run around, collect weapons and try to blow each other away. Um, the reason that this does not work well, I mean, aside from sort of the standard reasons of these environments all look the same and it can be easy to get right. lost, is your characters are so the characters are so agile and fast and slippery and the auto aim is not very generous. So if one character is just kind of running around they can be incredibly hard to hit and it's just a very frustrating game of chase there's also a section on the level that we played where you can essentially just hide underwater and be basically immune to getting hit that's okay um yeah so which is which is not well designed um there's no there's no sound here as is we've realized pretty standard yeah with n64 multiplayer but also sort of lends to a sad quiet environment it's a weird thing i, um, so I never noticed that until we start doing this show that like it is now so i weird. can't stop noticing it <laughs> um and your next mode is a shooting gallery where you and up to you know three other people just play as colored crosshairs um and then there's sort of these it, it, it's uh, on rail shooter like so that it'll just scroll through a level <laughs> and then these um cardboard cutouts of ants will pop up kind of like hogan's alley or something and then you'll just blast them and it keeps track of whoever hits the most See, ants this one sounded kind of only, fun I think, yeah well there's only three different levels um they're all pretty short they one only takes maybe two or three minutes to run through the problem is and this is what we touched on earlier the joystick for the N64 is just, it's so awkward feeling because it's, its I think it's just way oversensitive um, in this, so it's really hard to only push a little bit. It's very hard to be accurate. I would say this mode is the most fun because it's immediately accessible, uh, accessible and clear what you need to okay. do, but there's just very little there. Right. Um, and the third one is, believe it or not, a kart racing mode. <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, there's a section in the single-player game where I think you hit a context-sensitive pad and you sort of transform into an ant or disguise yourself as an ant, and then you participate in this sort of ant chariot race like <laughs> Ben-Hur, but with ants. Sure. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and so then they decided, oh, we can put that in the multiplayer mode as well, and you're kind of, it's uh, sort of like you're on these hover crafts. But there's just a real lack of variety of levels, and w again, with no sound, and when you play with two people, you're the only two people in yeah. the race, and it's it's a really hard one to want to go back to. Okay. So, yeah, those are those are your three multiplayer modes. Uh, none of them really grabbed all right, me. All right, all right, fair enough. I mean, you know, you can appreciate that they tried, uh, you know. But I don't think I don't. I honestly don't feel like there's a sense of them having tried in that. And again, there's just a sense of like we all are. All the games that we make have to be big events. They have to be full of content. So we need to make sure that you put a multiplayer mode yeah. in there. And it's just so odd because you know when people played Banjo Kazooie, was anyone like you know what this game really needs? Some like kart racing multiplayer. Yeah. And it's just, it's the sense of, like, all of these games sort of have to be everything to everyone on the N64. And it's like, why can't, you know, the Ratchet and Clank games, I think, are really good because they're pretty openly modest yeah. games. Like, they're just like, you're going to play through this. You're going to have, like, a fun 12-hour space yeah. adventure. And then you're, you're going to be done. Like, we're not we're not asking much of you. It's just fun and goofy yeah. and cartoony. Um, and I think that that all works Absolutely. very well. Yeah, and I, th I think... I, you can see, like you said, you can see the the DNA of a game like Ratchet and Clank here, but it just never quite came together. And 
Rare never really got behind it either, so weirdly there was a Game Boy Color sequel in the works at one point, but even Rare wasn't interested in doing it. They outsourced production to an outside studio, which according to one of the developers was the first time they'd ever done that. And uh, despite the game being almost completely done, neither Rare nor Nintendo ever made an official announcement about it, and the whole thing was just kind of shut down and thrown away. No one really knows why. Um, I, I will say I do think that part of it is um, the characters here are just, like, super uninteresting. Yeah. Like, the a lot of the other Rare games sort of thrive on these bright, colorful characters um, who are just, like, appealing and engaging to look at. You just, aside from the dog, you just get basically the most boring possible characters. And Vela's got a real short skirt. Oh, man. That's very, very prominent in the the Rare Replay version because, you know, it's a a low-res game, so they're playing it in, like, a little box on an HDTV, and then they have, like, that arcade cabinet-style artwork. And right to the right of your screen is, like, basically Vela's bare butt. Like, such a short skirt, and it's just kind of ridiculous. And... Again, she still looks very childlike to me. She still she looks elfin, you know. It's kind of like it's like Jim Henson's Starship Troopers. I don't know. I, 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 it's a very it's a weird <laughs> yeah. look, and I don't know. I, I can't quite pin down why we'd want to sexualize that. Um, but yeah, since then, uh, this game pretty much only exists in illusion. You can uh, get a Jet Force Gemini outfit in Minecraft. You can spot posters and cameos in a couple of other rare games, including Cameo. Uh, but the series never actually had a reboot. It never had a, any kind of renaissance, no sequels, nothing. Uh, and as far as I can tell, no one's really clamoring for one. I mean, even people who really liked this game, I, I don't know. There, there doesn't seem to be a huge like fan community keeping this one alive like there are other Rare games. It's, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting... I don't know. I, I, I guess all of that is to say I still don't quite know where I land on it, but I suppose we have to try and pull the trigger here. Let's... Yeah, well, I'll go, I'll go first yeah, let's for talk you, about Steve. our rankings. Um, then let's see if that uh, influences you at all. So, um, I was in a very similar boat. I didn't quite know where this one would land, and I still was a little confused after playing it. Um, I think it's odd because this game does have an incredibly high production value it's clear that a lot of money was put into this game and you know the com- you know rare was clear is clearly just a high profile company who knew yeah. what they were doing so most games are going to come out pretty good and i do think that this is a good game i would say if you only had if you were only picking through things for n64 it should probably be in your top 20 um, cuz it would give you a lot a lot to chew on and it does have a unique thing but like, also, like I said, I don't think it's aged well. Um, the gameplay feels very dated and frustrating compared to more modern games. Um, so with all that said, I'm putting it at number um, 68, 68, which is right under Harvest Moon 64 okay. and uh, ahead of Magical Tetris Challenge. Not which... a bad placement. Yes. Um, God, okay. Pressure's on now. Like, again, I think it's not really fair to judge this game by modern standards because this was not. But it has like, to be fair. I do feel like I, I feel like my list, I have really been thinking about, like, modern standards and, like, how how this would compare. Is this still fun to play I guess now? that would be a more That's fair question. Like, is it still fun? Like, not necessarily is it uh, as perfectly polished as, like, a Call of Duty game or something, but is it still fun? And that's where I kind of bump into it because, like... I kind of did have fun playing this. Like, I think the shooting is satisfying. I didn't even mention the soundtrack. The soundtrack on this is great. 
Uh, it sounds like this awesome, big, goofy space opera, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I I felt like well, so many of the tracks just kind of felt like uh, that's the scene on oh, Endor yeah. with a wicket running around. It's like, do-do-do, Like, it just felt like that constantly okay, to yeah, me. Fair I, At least the main theme I really liked. Um, but, uh, but again, again, it is a, I think it's a game that's very frustrating and flawed on its own. Like, regardless of time, in a vacuum, this is a game that is flawed. Uh, and it's a game that could have used maybe a little bit more development, a little more polish to kind of bear out some of the ambitious ideas that they had here. Uh, as to the question of whether I would play it again, I don't really know. Um, you know, so I'm, I am going to kind of equivocate a little bit, uh, and I'm putting it kind of in the middle of the range, I was saying. Uh, so it's going to be number 94. Uh, that's right below Bomberman 2 and right above Excite Bike 64. I feel like that's that's going to have to do for now. I may uh, I may keep myself up over that later. I don't but... know. Any game that we've played has given you this amount of uh, pause and wishy-washiness. No, yeah. Usually it's much more clear-cut than this, but like you can't you can't just say this is a bad game. I don't think it's a bad game by any uh, measure. Uh, but I think it is the one weird side effect of having this podcast is I find I'm much more critical of rare games. Maybe because we have to play so many of them and because they're so prominent on the system. But a lot of their design philosophy has not stood the test of time very well at all. Um, and, and Well, and it's also the mentality that there's just sort of this idea that all of their games are kind of masterpieces and they just had this sort of hot streak. And so it's very satisfying to see other companies who sort of have more underappreciated games where sort of um, the rare rare ideas get a little... Tired yeah, sometimes. they should have made room for Starshot Space Circus Fever. That's what all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, we have one letter this week. Uh, and you can send us letters at ultra64podcast at gmail.com or through the website, ultra64podcast.com. This one starts, hi, Stephen Woody. Uh, During these crazy times, I don't think I'm alone when I say that your podcast has been serving as somewhat of a substitute for social activities. So with that, thanks again for putting together this podcast. Perhaps what I'm most impressed with is that you have been able to review 219 games together and not be sick of one another. Guess what? That's why we're actually in different houses right now. <laughs> yeah, we, the, we, we're we not quarantined or anything. We just decided it would be best it's, to take a break for the from kids, one another. You know. um, so just one question. In the Indiana Jones podcast, one of you had mentioned that you were hopeful the game was going to turn out to be a nice sleeper game. Ultimately, I believe the two of you were let down. Is there a particularly good sleeper game on the N64? One that didn't particularly sell well, or one that many casual fans haven't heard of, but that we should definitely pick up? And that's from Chris. Thank you, Chris. Um, so I, I have a couple tiles to jump out at me. I don't know if you want to go first on that one. Sure, I will go first. Um, I would say a little game called NBA mm -hmm. Hang Time. I don't know if we've emphasized <laughs> enough how much I like this game. It is on the top of my list ahead of Super Mario 64, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is is definitely a hot take. But I do think if you're really into, like, I think the reason it's probably a sleeper is because it just seems like a bland sure. sports game. But um, it plays super fast. Like, it's just, I think it's the best version of NBA Jam yeah. that's out there. And so it's just fast and fun and really satisfying. And... Um, the other one I'm going to say, which, you know, I think sold well, but I just think people forget about how good it is, is uh, Rayman yes. 2. Yeah, Rayman 2 is fantastic, um, and I support that 100%. I think the games that jump into my head when I think about this, there, there are three, and they're all ones that I keep kind of meaning to go back to. 
One is uh, Ogre Battle 64, which is definitely the most uh, intense and in-depth strategy RPG on the system. Um, the next would be uh, Hybrid Heaven, which is a very strange combination of like uh, uh, Metal Gear Solid and RPG with like a fighting game. It's very strange, but it works. And then finally, Forsaken 64, which is a game I never would have looked at twice. Uh, it's just a bland... The cover is just like half a woman's face. It tells you nothing about what the game actually is. And it's like... She she lives in the same universe as the Phalanx banjo yes, player. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you put those two covers together, they're actually sitting they're right next to each other. They're looking at the same other. thing. They're looking at that spaceship. Yeah, but it's like this really fun kind of innovative, like full 3D motion shooter where you just kind of float through space and blast things. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that one. So, yeah. Um, I'll add I'll add one more on there. Just um, Quake, Quake 2, of course, which. Is, yeah, that's that's sort of our go to. I, I almost even can't call that a sleeper because Quake is obviously massive, but like. You wouldn't think that... But nobody talks about that N64 game. A lot of people don't even know Quake 2 is on the N64. Same with, like, uh, uh, Rainbow Six, you know, which has a very good N64 port. Um, Yeah, but thank you for that question, Chris. We like looking through old lists. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We are Ultra 64 Podcast on all of the various social medias. We also are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash ultra64pod. We are cranking out episodes right now. There are so many new episodes uh, on our Patreon because we have been bored with the quarantine. So we're... Yeah, so what we, we talked about yeah. Ninja Gaiden. We're going to talk about Def Jam Fight mm-hmm. for New York, um, Crazy yep. Taxi, and we got Star Fox 2 coming up soon. So, yeah, there's just a ton of stuff there. So if you if you need more social interaction, and by which we mean yeah. hearing us talk, um, that's, a, that's a good that's place to get place. it. And we have another podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Woody? Sure. The other podcast is called Just Friends, um, J-E-S-T, and that's where Steve and I and our friend Michaela are reading through the book Infinite Jest with David Foster Wallace, about 50 pages at a time, and we only got about two more episodes of that before we were we done with the book. Done. So we may be, we may be, I know, we're, we're all pretty thankful. We may be done with the book before uh, the quarantine ends, and then what will we do? We'll have to read a different book. I mean, I, I don't know if I can handle two books. <laughs> you haven't been reading a different book for like I a know, year. I've noticed, like since I've started reading Infinite Jest, like my other casual reading has definitely dropped off. I'm trying to get that back on track, but my casual reading has dropped off a lot. Um, well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, don't forget to tune in next week because we are finishing out wrestling games yes that's right Woody you could be done with wrestling games forever we're playing the last four we're playing uh, WWF Wrestlemania 2000 ECW Hardcore Revolution WWF No Mercy and WCW Backstage Assault so those are our remaining wrestling games we're going to have some very cool very well informed guests on that one uh and I'm making I'm making a prediction now, listener. I think this po- this next podcast might be the one where I speak <laughs> the least. So keep track. This is at the home. Animal Crossing one. Yeah, one of those. But, oh, but we are, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward. I'm hoping to be surprised by one of these. Um, so everybody, tune in next time. And as I've often said before, pew 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 pew.
Okay. Ask Dan. Last chance to be Steve's friend. You want to be Steve's friend, don't you? Okay. Give it up. Racer. Racer. Racer.